I am so grateful to have this opportunity to be back in this place which holds treasured memories for me and to be virtually at least with people who abide in my heart and in my love. Mac, thank you for the invitation. And even more than gratitude for the invitation, I am thankful for the good, significant work you continue to do as a congregation. I have celebrated and I celebrate every step you take with Mac's fine leadership toward more inclusive love, toward greater commitment to justice and mercy, and toward more faithful telling and demonstrating of the good news of grace. I'm grateful to all of you and to the Spirit for what you do. The woman on the other end of the phone spoke lightheartedly of spring and of her 81st birthday the week before. Who did you celebrate with, Beryl? Asked Allison, who had called as a part of her job to check on her and to offer a kind listening ear. N no one, no one. And Beryl's cheer turned to despair. Her voice began to quaver as she acknowledged that she'd been alone at home, not just on her birthday, but for days and days. This telephone conversation she was having was the first time she had spoken in more than a week. That story was part of a New York Times article entitled, Researchers Confront an Epidemic of Loneliness. It appeared more than three years ago in the fall of 2016. Vivek Murthy was Surgeon General of the United States from 2014 until 2017. In his recent book, Together, The Healing Power of Connection in a Sometimes Lonely World, he wrote about a listening tour he took Early in his tenure, he heard directly from Americans about their health challenges. And as he expected, they talked about opioid and other forms of addiction, about smoking and vaping, about diabetes, about heart disease, and about cancer. As he listened, he also heard a persistent theme he hadn't anticipated, loneliness ran like a dark thread through many of the more obvious issues that people brought to my attention, he said. In some cases, loneliness was driving health problems. In others, it was a consequence of the illness and the hardships people were experiencing. Clearly, there was something about our disconnection from one another that was making people's lives harder than they had to be. Dr. Murthy finished 
his book before the COVID-19 crisis. But just before the book went to press, he added an author's note in which he spoke of the ways the pandemic has heightened concerns about so many things, but about loneliness too, especially because of the necessary physical distancing. It seemed, he said, at first that this crisis must inevitably lead to social as well as physical isolation. And then he asked this series of provocative questions. If we could not meet, how could we connect? If we could not share the same space, how could we help each other? If we could not touch, how could we love? Now, of course, these are questions about medical and emotional health, but they also strike me as theological questions. How do we love? And how are we loved by someone we cannot see with our eyes, touch with our hands, and hear with our ears? On the night before his death, Jesus talked with his friends about what their lives would be like when his seat at their common table would be empty. When they would no longer walk with him on the road, when they wouldn't feel his arm around their sagging shoulders, and when they wouldn't hear the music in his voice, or see the welcome in his smile, or note the mercy in his tears. Jesus' friends were troubled for him, but also for themselves. He did what he could to prepare them, saying, in effect, we won't meet in a room like this one, but we will connect. I won't be in the same space with you, but I will help you. We won't touch, but we will love each other. Early in John 14, Jesus told his friends that they would have a home in the Father's house where there are many dwelling places, plenty good room, as the old spiritual says, plenty good room for anyone and everyone. He said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. When it's ready, I'll come again and will take you to myself so that where I am, there you can be too. And later in verse 23, just after the lesson we read this morning, Jesus says, those who love me will keep my word and my Father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. So notice, there's a promise for the future. You will live in the Father's house. And there's a promise for the present. God makes a home in you. Now and forever, you have a home with God. Jesus also assured his friends, I will not leave you orphaned. I'm coming to you. Journalist Olivia Lang described the season of aching loneliness in her own life. She says, if I could have put what I was feeling into words, the words would have been an infant's wail. 
I don't want to be alone. I want someone to want me. I'm lonely. I'm scared. I need to be loved, to be touched, to be held. An infant's wail. The cry of the child in all of us who fears being abandoned. The tears of the boy or girl we still are who feels overlooked, shut down, pushed away. And the sobs of the little one within who doesn't feel safe, can't stop the hurting, and doesn't know whom to trust. To us, to all of us, Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. Annie Dillard remembered an incident from summer camp. We met all sorts of girls at camp. There were a dozen girls from an orphanage who had never been adopted. Among them, I admired an older girl named Liz, a large-framed, bony girl with dry blonde curls and red cheekbones who wore a wool lumberjack shirt every Sunday night. Gathered in our bare old rec hall of a chapel, we children could request a favorite hymn if we could recite a Bible verse. Year after year, Big Liz returned unadopted to camp. And Sunday after Sunday, she requested, no one ever cared for me like Jesus. That old gospel song, thank God, still sings in me sometimes. No one ever cared for me like Jesus. There's no other friend so kind as he. No one else could take the sin and darkness from me. Oh, how much he cared for me. Now be sure not to miss the bracing honesty of Jesus' promise. He did not say we wouldn't feel like orphans. He said he wouldn't abandon us to that lonely feeling. I will not leave you as orphans. I am coming to you. And Jesus himself abjectly felt the very next day aloneness. He had known God as a tender father and strong mother had reveled in God's delight and had rested in God's affirmation. But on the cross, he experienced the absence of God. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The Son of God felt like an orphan, left in the cold of isolation, the darkness of desperation. But God, but God came to him and for him. God reached into the tomb and raised dead Jesus from the grave. God did not leave Jesus as an orphan, and Jesus does not abandon us. When we feel orphaned, it's a true feeling. But our feelings do not always tell us the surest and highest truth. 
which is, we are always God's beloved daughters and sons forever at home with God, never finally alone. This unbroken home with God is built from love, by love, and for love. Those who love me are those who have my commandments and keep them. Those who love me will keep my word and my Father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. It's important and it's a gift for us to realize that what God wants from us is what God wants for us. That God's commandments are an expression of God's compassion and that God's directions move us toward God's dreams for our flourishing. You might say that obedience to the commandments of love is the front door to home. To love is to be at home. To be at home is to love. The command and the invitation are the same. Be at home with love. Love and be loved. Love God. Love Jesus. Love one another. Julian of Norwich was a medieval anchorite. She devoted herself to a solitary life of prayer by anchoring herself, by letting herself be enclosed in a small room connected to St. Julian's Church in Norwich. We don't know her given name. We call her by the sight of her calling. But we do know that she lived in chaotic times. France and England were locked in the Hundred Years' War. Corruption was rampant among the ruling classes. And a pandemic, the Black Plague, intermittently raged and ravaged. In successive waves of illness, about half of Norwich's 13,000 residents died. 647 years ago this week, on May 13th, 1373, when she was 30 and a half years old, Julian fell into a bodily sickness. She said she felt as if the upper part of my body was beginning to die. The greatest pain that I had was my shortness of breath and the ebbing of my life. While on the edge of life and death, she had a vision of Jesus' crucifixion, which steadied her and which over years of reflection drew her more deeply into the vast gentleness and the great love of God. She wrote, I desired many times to know what was our Lord's meaning in these revelations. And 15 years after and more, I was answered in spiritual understanding. What do you wish to know your Lord's meaning in this thing? Know this. Know it well. Love was its meaning. Who reveals it to you? Love. 
What did He reveal to you? Love. Why did He reveal it to you? For love. The reason, the meaning, the source, the goal of the vision was love. Just as the source, the meaning, the reason, and the goal of life itself is love. Julian added, Jesus did not say, you will not be troubled. You will not be belabored. You will not be disquieted. But, he said, you will not be overcome. God loves us and delights in us, she says. So he wishes us to love him and delight in him and trust greatly in him and all shall be well. The Lord says most comfortingly, I may make all things well and I can make all things well and I shall make all things well and I will make all things well and you will see yourself that every kind of thing will be well. In this pandemic season, we're troubled, belabored, disquieted, but we will not be overcome because we are not alone. We live in the shelter of God's love and we die into God's embrace. You'll see. You'll see. All shall be well. Amen.